it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so another week of disappointment from the majority as this topsy-turvy FPL season continues. Each week seems to bring its own twist, a bit like a crime boxer in its prime. Though, unlike those, I suspect some of the audience is now hoping for a semblance of easy predictability to descend upon events. Recording on Monday night after the Spurs game, which has just about helped us all, uh, so forgive any hot takes, thanks for that. Uh, but let's get going. Nick, beard trimmed from woodsman to urban cosmopolite. You all right? Hey Tom, yeah, I'm not too bad. Thanks, yeah. I'm nearly clean shaven and refreshed. I'm ready for a fresh start after what has been a dreadful 2020 and a bad and very boring game week. But bring back the goals. Where have they all gone? Um, we are who got the assist. Uh, make sure to, to follow us on the usual streams, Twitter. You can find us at WGTA underscore FPL, at WGTA underscore Nick, at FPL Stag for Stag as well. And uh, yeah, if you are listening as well via SoundCloud and can only access there for some reason, just um, let us know because we might be cancelling that soon. So just give us a shout if, if you're still using SoundCloud and we can... Um, followed up also if you want to join our mini league the code is cpsulf so we're joined as always by anthony how are you doing terrible uh, that, that was a bad fpl week I'm, I'm drinking a mug of tea here and i'll be honest i i really wish there was something harder in it like this was a tough one um but anyway enough of that moving on to the actual pod itself and the agenda for today so off the back of last week's discussion on the supporting cast many of them actually came through this weekend when the premiums were pretty quiet aside from son and kane so it just wasn't really the ones that we happen to own. <laughs> so anyway, this week's topic is moving away from that. And it's actually looking at overmanagement and should we just zombie our teams? And then, of course, later on the podcast, we'll be looking at the real reasons you're here. Correspondence as well as the listeners Q&A. But first, before anything else, gaming reviews and market forces. Yeah, let's, uh, let's get this out of the way. And uh, Anthony, do you want to get your tail of woe out of the way uh, so we can uh, swiftly skate on? Can FPL violate fundamental human rights, Tom? That's my first question. You're the guy who's trained to be a solicitor, not me. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I've 
started to wonder, and I, I might look into it, because all of my players returned uh, appearance points. Uh, <laughs> very few of them actually returned much more. Uh, Martinez, he got three points. That's notable, really, in, in my side. I, I had Chilwell, who got a clean sheet. Uh, Mane, two assists. Uh, Salah captain, four points there for total. And Kane's assist was probably more damage than it was worth for me. So I guess you could really say I was the victim of a double robbery on Saturday in that Mane with two attacking returns, no bonus points. Chilwell, one of the few players who was actually trying to do something in that United-Chelsea match. Got a clean sheet in fairness to him. But he was on two baps in injury time and got no baps. And then twice I, I considered going to hospital because of gut-wrenching. Two late clean sheet wipeouts. Mitchell, Semedo, and in the context of Sice being subbed, that was uh, particularly annoying. And Son's goal, of course, I don't have Son in my team because I played like 7,000 D chess with my wildcard team and didn't put him into it, you know. So his goal and uh, the Kane assist because I didn't captain him cost me about 400k. So all in all, 36 points, which of course you'll, you'll hear much bigger tales of woe in the FPL community this week. But I'm going to just enjoy my woe. 36 points, rank fall, not actually a huge one from the guts of a million to 1.7-ish million. Fairly crap, but... Look, it's over. And the, because of this congested season, the new game week is coming really soon. It's over being one of the keys, didn't they? Uh, Nick, how do you do? Any better? Uh, not, not much better, no. <laughs> so I actually managed to outscore you by two points in the end. Uh, I got I got 38 points. Um, with, with Son and Kane actually contributing 16 of them. So I was, I was down at 22 points um, before that Spurs game started. And it was looking like an absolute shambolic game. It's bailed a little bit by those guys, but everyone owns those guys now. So it doesn't have a huge impact in terms of the overall ranks. I didn't captain any of them. Uh, the rest of the team was utterly awful and everyone blanked apart from Dallas who got me six points but yet plenty of one pointers from the likes of Grealish, Calvert-Lewin and, and Lamptey and yes. I, I benched Dallas as well actually didn't oh, did you? six points would be great. <laughs> hey, this, this is my turn of vote now <laughs> um, and uh, Captain Salah was uh, the blank of course as well but I, who I did bench of course I benched two clean sheets in Zuma getting nine points who was my highest scoring player and also Walker Peterson he got five points of course last week they decided to have a free all against each other um, and get one point each but this week of course on the bench they, they get clean sheets so oh, that's a bit shambolic but um, yeah and, and there's someone who's kind of on my tail now isn't there after sort of a, a long period of being number one in terms of the WGTA guys uh, Tom you had a bit of a decent week didn't you yeah yeah I did um, obviously same as you Captain Salah and same as you had two clean sheets on the bench in uh, James and Justin um, but uh, other than that I, I did alright it's, it's, obviously it's, it's rich for me to be complaining given the tales of woe I've heard but it felt like one of those weeks that if I got the captain right I'd have really kind of had a push um but as it was I end up 56 minus 4 so 52 net similar sorts of blanks to you guys but in goal I had Alex McCarthy uh, kept his third clean sheet in six games so 50% clean sheet ratio for Southampton at the moment brilliant what a 4.5 million goalkeeper uh, Son and Kane obviously uh, ailing with a clean sheet and up front uh, Raul Jimenez um, came through with a, a random pile drive from the edge of the area as did my man Mikel Antonio might be a one week cameo for Antonio but eight points from 52 minutes on the pitch can't really complain about that uh, so yeah 52 um, and I'm up to 1.5 million so I think I'm about three points above you Anthony but for some reason that's kind of a tantamount to about 400k places absolutely crazy at the moment I was saying just before we came on there Bosnia that at the start of the Spurs game 
all that had happened was that Mope and Lampsy of the high end players had played and maybe Ryan too. And then Kane and Son had started and I dropped about 400k places because of that. So we are so bunched up at the moment, like mere appearance points, two or three points is the difference between 1.5, 1.4k and 1.8, 1.9k. So it's it's just one of those times at the moment where you have one good week and you'll be away. Um, and it's definitely something that's very frustrating and it's definitely something that we'll be addressing a little bit during the main topic of this week uh, but the first thing to talk about is market forces i've heard a lot of people nick saying you know I'm, I'm just not looking to make any changes this week because i'm happy with my team it's just been a bit bad um probably a sentiment i'd share actually but what's the market doing how is it responding to quite a fallow week yeah i'm the same actually I, I look at my team and even though i had a shocking game week I'm, I'm not really looking to sell anyone on and yeah the, i guess the market is quite quiet compared to sort of some of the rushes we've seen after all the goals that we've seen relatively recently you know there's been fewer goals this weekend but one player who did um, net a hat trick this weekend surprisingly was uh, patrick bamford so he's had over two hundred thousand uh, purchases so far and yeah it's a bit of a weird one with bamford not even the leeds fans were kind of tooting his horn in the pre-season were they they were kind of talking about how you know he's more of a championship forward i guess and like he looks destined to be the next generation uh, cameron jerome a guy who could get perhaps 20 goals in the championship but just couldn't deliver in the premier league but the dowsers have been proved wrong haven't they he's had a really good start um now has six goals and uh, two assists in, in the first six games and uh, plenty of people uh, looking at the the bargain leads forward as a, a signing yeah it's, i was just thinking like what's the opposite of tooting horn because that's what they were doing like they, they really weren't keen on Bamford and kind of he never really came up in the 5.5 million ish or 6 million striker discussion preseason but he continues to deliver maybe in spite of his underlying statistics and you could probably say the same for another very popular midfield transfer in this week Wilfred Zaha golden assist against Fulham this time for Palace so 13 points spurring his ownership on again yeah, I nearly brought him in, actually, so I'm a bit annoyed because all the sort of Hamas Rodriguez rumours of being injured and then not injured. I nearly did a swap there, which I decided not to do in the last minute, but he had a good game week, of course. 135,000 uh, transfers in, as you said, so far. Um, um, highest uh, midfield transfer. Otherwise, we've also got Son and Kane, uh, not at the top of the uh, market forces like we've seen in the last few game weeks, but still being bought in quite heavily. Perhaps um, their numbers will go up again after the goal and the assist combination uh, this game week. But um, second in market forces actually is, is Ben Chilwell. So he, he seems to be the defender that's doing well. There is one out there um, putting together consistently good performances. Despite only playing three games, he's actually the seventh highest scoring defender in the game right now. So that just shows what a good and and despite being the victim of a robbery with his bonus points as well, it's he's actually such a good pick though. Like his price has gone up from five point five to five point eight, but like he's such a good pick, and it, it's actually infuriating that so many people are picking up before he's really you know he had a haul right in his first game, alright for Chelsea, but you know that's that's his first game, but like he's he's continually picking up those points. He's I think he's definitely the best. Let's say premium defender. There's plenty of four point fives and five ish defenders who are returning, but. Of the premiums who kind of bring that attacking edge, Chilwell standing out, even though he has similar enough underlying stats to the likes of Robbo and Trent. Yeah, he was close to getting into my uh, wildcard team there, but I ended up with uh, Kurt Happy Zuma. But in terms of the uh, transfers out, the defenders being sold, obviously D, Luca D, he got sent off. Surprisingly, I didn't own him when he got sent off this time, but he was off. So 165,000 transfers out for him. Van Dyke, obviously injured, being sold heavily as well. And also, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold with 65,000 transfers out. I'm sure we'll um, have some questions about that a little bit later on the pod. Yeah. 
really unusual actually that the top three most sold players are all defenders and then it's kind of it's a real smattering of midfielders and forwards who are being sold your James Rodriguez is your Aubameyangs who's like how are you only selling him now 50,000 people like how would you not sold him earlier uh, the likes of Mitrovic, Vardy, Callum Wilson like why are people selling him it's yeah there's, the sales are definitely all over the place when it comes to midfielders and forwards yeah, probably just low volume, right? I think it's probably just the fact that people are just kind of like, oh, well, it's a bit of a weird week. I'm just going to log off and come back to it next week. Uh, but hopefully you should listen to podcasts anyway. And I guess that sort of um, awkwardly segues us on, I would say nicely, but it doesn't really. Um, on to our main topic this week, which is simply, should we just zombify our teams? Moreover, it's kind of a meditation on whether managers help or hinder their teams especially in tumultuous times as we've seen in the beginning clearly the question is a bit of a vexed one because we're all going to say no hopefully i mean anthony looking a bit doubtful looking a bit glum um it's kind of the fun of it to managing a team isn't it uh, but we're adding a bit of kind of a, a wt angle onto the existential question when we're seeing it happen week in week out we get questions why the hell am i doing this what the hell's going on and every game which must be bringing its own sort of sense of disaster class um and i think maybe it's as anthony said in the beginning talking about over management a little bit as well which is the idea that you're making a move at the expense of more information which could be probably a bit more helpful so the original story was me selling salad before bournemouth moved because i was rushing um but the tale of son this year is a really good one a really good way of analyzing that because people buying selling buying selling trying to jump with the trends and being utterly punished um but a really good starting point for this actually is the ghost ship zombie team uh, which i'll be putting on twitter later on this week um but long story short you probably be about 60 points ahead if you started with the zombie team uh, the team is basically martinez and mccarthy as your rotating goalkeepers a back five consisting of castagna as your sole premium uh Sice and mings uh, and then conor cody would have started one game the first game and you'd have a 4.0 like mitchell or something who'd never have played in midfield you have salah son grealish james and Jorginho, and up front you'd have kane calvert lewin and Bamford if you'd have done all of this correctly so if you'd have um, you know managed the captains correctly and if you'd done everything all right you'd be on 623 points right now according to live rank the top player in the world on 511 so you'd be top of FPL by over 100 points at this point if you'd got all that right uh, but that's a 97 million uh, costing team which would get you there Perhaps it shows the anatomy of a top 10K team at the moment because we're seeing a lot, you know, top 10K teams. Oh, you know, the ownership of Kane and Son is so big, isn't it? But at the end of the day, I mean, those two players alone have got 69 points for Son, 65 for Kane. That's 134 points together, isn't it? So of uh, the top guys got 511, right? That's over a quarter of his points scored by two players alone, assuming he's captained those players most of the time. So it really is the fact that these people have started this on Kane and done very very well isn't it probably yeah it is basically isn't it like it's a, with such a short few weeks having gone this season like inevitably the, the top zombie team is going to have pretty much jumped on those guys who hit form early on in the season and if you were to have tried to put together you know the optimal zombie team any one of us for example we would have had to spread our load some bit that you'd have got let's say you might have had son or kane you might have had salah or mane you might have had a bamiang in there you might have had bruno fernandez in there but you'd never have just doubled down on one side because you wouldn't you know you'd be just exposing yourself to just complete failure if you picked the wrong side like if you'd if you'd had i don't know salah mane and trent in your team which we probably would have done you wouldn't be doing that well compared to this you know, Spurs-centred team. Yeah, it's worth remembering as well that 
dreadful game week one that the Spurs guys had as well with, with Kane and Son and they, yeah. they both blanked and because uh, you would have um, probably got rid of one of them just to, just after that dreadful opening game week and potentially missed out on a lot of these points. Yeah, no, certainly. And I think what is quite useful though as a counterpoint is the what-if machine. So I don't know if you guys have heard of this. It's just Google fancy, fancy football what-if machine. Uh, it's always hilarious, but basically it shows what the contrast between your game at one team as it would be now, including stuff like, um, you know, auto subs and what your transfer value would be compared to what you've actually got and what's really interesting at least for us in terms of a life affirming sort of way is that at the moment at least my game with one team if I just left it would be worse off than if I was managing it so for me I'm 34 points better off um, through actually managing my team and I'm two million pounds better off in terms of my team value how do you guys look 33 points better off at the moment I think it is um, quite a large contributing factor is uh, bringing in the likes of Son and Kane who I've only had for two game weeks but since I brought them in you know, they, they played such a key role to my team and uh, also the fact that in game week one I, I captained Aubameyang who we were, we were so um, hyping up I guess at the start of the season weren't we with him being reclassified as a midfielder signing a new contract being Arsenal's talisman all of that we were talking about and then uh, it's not really happened to Aubameyang Yang, especially since uh, game week three, I think he hasn't scored or assisted. His XG's been lower than the likes of Koyate I saw on Twitter. You know, it's it's been a, a bad run for him. So I think that factor alone has has been one of the uh, stories of my team, I guess, in terms of actually making changes that have benefited. Get rid of the likes of Werner and Mitrovic as well, who were stinking out my original team for for better players like Kane and Calvert Lewin. So, uh, the good news is I'm better off. The bad news is it's only by three points. So, three points, wow. Yeah, it's like, was it a good game week good. one team that I picked or have I just had a bad season? You decide, dear listener. <laughs> I guess the, the better story is that I am 2.5 million in team value up, which should, you know, quote unquote, be more useful to me in the latter half of this season. But not a huge difference really between my original side and this side. I'd captain Salah, for example. So it's like I didn't have that Aubameyang problem. He was in the side, I just captain Salah. Oh, yeah. okay, right, I see, yeah. I see. Um, but I guess that kind of leads to the question, how much value do managers bring to our teams? Obviously, we do have this sort of over-management sort of side of things, but it does look like we do have an impact, right? And I think, as you said earlier on in the season, you do have this sort of sense where the zombies can definitely be either beating you or near to you. Um, but I, I was hoping that eventually there's a breaking point in seasons when the early template fails and the ghost ship's left behind. Like I remember in seasons past, for example, I think 2018-19, uh, Fraser and Wilson, they were in every single zombie team, weren't they, for a while and then completely fell away as Bournemouth did. But that's one big performance, wasn't it? I think it was Huddersfield, uh, where they both got double digits and suddenly you saw these zombies getting like 500k, 1 million rank climbs just because they captained Wilson and uh, and had Fraser in their team before they went away and left the game. Other ones I can remember is like, you know, uh, Richarlison uh, that year as well. I think he had a huge ownership for the whole season because he scored in game week one, got a brace in game week two, and as a result had 30% ownership basically the course of the year because you had all these people, Phil from accounting, buying him in and then just forgetting about fantasy football, but still having Richarlison in his team. And you know, even this week, I looked at Jamie Vardy, who'd been injured for a couple of weeks, and I was just like, well, okay, but that goal's not going to hurt me. 90% owned. So there's definitely you know, an element of this, but I mean, you guys, you, you guys are fairly sure as well that the template will break down and things are going to improve, right? Anthony, things will improve for you, yeah? 
surely it, it will improve just as you say it is the template does tend to break down you do tend to get ahead of it everything tends to straighten itself out like even these spurs performances you could argue that them beating burnley today at one nil was they pretty much delivered the same performance that they delivered against everton in game week one just the score happened to you know basically the complete opposite of it, a one nil win for them and so you know, over the course of the season, they might be found out. The Liverpool, for example, they're not posting particularly good numbers so far, but you would expect them to start picking up as time goes on. Can Man United continue to live off penalties? Probably, because that's what they always do. So maybe they'll you know, not be bottom half um, soon. So yeah, I think it will improve slowly, Tom. Those are some really interesting examples there, Tom. And you've obviously had Timu Puki as the classic example from last year. It was in oh, all yeah, of those all of those ghost ships. And then obviously eventually we caught up with some of those ghost ships that hurt him because he I think he only scored once or twice in the last twenty or so game weeks of the season. He just his form absolutely disappeared. But it has been um yeah, a little bit of a strange season so far, hasn't it? We've had so many strange results like Leicester winning five two at City or West Ham, four nil at Wolves, Villa obviously at Liverpool. Just it's it's been so manic it's been hard to kind of predict but we've we've seen certain teams like Everton do so really really well and Aston Villa of course as well and um, this game week perhaps might be the start of a return to form who knows but we will unfortunately the likes of us we're all doubled up now when these teams doubled up in Everton doubled <laughs> yeah. up in Aston Villa so maybe um, maybe we'll catch up with some of those zombies while it's Everton and Aston Villa drop out of form and um, and we sell their assets as well of course but who oh. knows what's going to happen I guess it is fascinating, isn't it? There's us all the way down the rabbit hole, like engaged managers, you know, part of the community, part of obviously doing the podcast. But, and we're kind of each week we're going, oh God, this is a disaster. Oh no, this has not quite worked out for me. But I'm sure there's loads of people out there who had Kane and Son from the beginning because they're both fairly well known players and Son's decent price, Kane's the England captain. And they're just like, what are you talking about? What do you mean bad season? It's a, it's a great season. I've never had a start like it because I've had those two players in. It's, it's just a, maybe it's kind of just an intense focus of what happens when you're in the community compared to being outside because I'm sure there are loads of people out there who are just like, I've had a fantastic season. I don't know what you're talking about. But hey, there you go. Uh, moving on to advice to weather the storm. Um, FPLL fast, for example, with an approach could be to target fixtures for teams which haven't been firing yet. So for example, Man City, rather than just jumping on bandwagon. So could that negate the overmanagement? After all, he says, how much have stats really helped us this year? I mean, do you guys think that could be a way to kind of anticipate the next bandwagon? Because that is obviously one that we always do go for. But especially this year where things do seem topsy-turvy, how effective do you think that's going to be? You know, I, I wouldn't target teams that lack form but have the fixtures, to be honest. I think form is integral to making your FPL decisions ultimately. And, you know, it's that kind of strategy personally hasn't worked for me in the past. So it's not one I, I'm personally planning on adopting i'm going to stick to my <laughs> normal play whether it works for me or not and, and look for those form players and, and try and find that lethal combination of form and fixtures where i can yeah like if i was to have the sort of omnipotence required to do what elf is suggesting i next saturday i wouldn't really be targeting man city versus sheffield united i'd probably target the lottery like the the, the odds of it kind of coming together at the moment especially in this season just seem to be quite low you know the, like the Liverpool defence it's 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 very hard to know City they haven't had a demolition job yet and you kind of expect that to come at some stage KGB slow starts part of that their underlying numbers are really poor we'll talk about it later and it's just it seems to be really hard to target fixtures so you might as well just stick to the players that are actually doing well for the moment keep an eye on the stats and then as things start to revert towards some sort of a mean then start acting maybe with a bit more fixture-facing approach. 
Yeah, certainly. I mean, in this situation, it feels like patience is best. And I certainly felt this week that if I could have gotten a time machine and gone back to Friday and replayed the week somehow, you know, like a quick game on FM for the dirty people to do that, I, I could have easily ended up with a completely different set of results. I could easily, just easily have sent this team out and gotten 80 points this week. It's just so happened. I mean, it, sometimes you do get on the wrong side of variance or let's call it what it is at times plain unlucky like you no know, for example this week things like for me and my team this is Grealish just shot, shot off the line uh TAO almost went from halfway line TA to Salah goal offside Salah hitting the post from five yards out Mitchell losing a clean sheet I mean it is always a game of five fine margins and that that's really kind of what it is isn't it at the end of you've just got to plug away haven't you and if you do need time away from FPL to chill so be it like I, I think the one thing that I did notice this weekend is and I became acutely aware of is that the strung out nature of this season's game so far is definitely, I think, changing the mental dynamic of the weekend in terms of FPL. Like each game in isolation makes the bits that didn't go your way feel just that little bit more amplified, you know, versus, you know, when there was a bunch of 3pm games, you'd at least go, well, all right, I at least got that, even though that didn't quite work out. Something like, you know, the Mitchell losing the clean sheet at the last minute would have been counterbalanced by, you know, Son and Kane combining and it, it wouldn't feel as bad, but it really felt, you know, at some, some point this weekend and last weekend as well, I just kind of consciously switch off after a while. So I'm kind of hoping it gets back to like the regular calendar again because I think it is quite a difficult um or it can be if you're pretty pretty engaged with it and you look forward to it all week it can be kind of quite uh, quite difficult if it doesn't go your way can't it yeah it's, it's just harder to follow as well to be perfectly honest with you it's like you know you have to be pretty much engaged with it for the whole entire weekend to, to catch everything that's occurring you know it's like whatever happened at the three o'clock game is such old news by the time most people have like gone so deep into their couch after sitting on it for seven hours that they've watched three <laughs> other games you know it's like if there's crisps everywhere there's beer cans around the house like whatever happened at three o'clock is long forgotten at 10 p.m that night when they're watching <laughs> the last game and then they're settling in for bleeding match of the day like there's just so much of it that it's in many ways like it's it is just drawn out and like they're they're opposed to it of course that people can watch all the games and they can spend 15 euros or they can spend it to charities and not watch the games at all do whatever they wish but the emotions are definitely much more amplified in fel context from a following it perspective it's not as easy even though there's more access yeah, it reminds me of the old Mitchell and Webb sketch. Watch the football. The football is always here. Watch it. Watch it. Um, and it, yeah, it, it, as you said, it definitely feels that way. If it just being wall to wall, it's almost like the, the box office was a, a bit of a godsend. Because I, there were games on that I wasn't going to pay to watch. So I had a little bit of time off doing it. Um, but I guess to bring us to the FPL on the end of this section, a very somber section, it seemed a little bit. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Should we zombify our teams? Um, I don't think we should. I think we do get game weeks like this where you've got, you know, we've touched on quite a few things, you know, the, the dark side of FPL, dark side of probability, as the old Twitter quote was at the bottom of FS forums, um, and a few things to maybe think about. But as you saw through us relaying the fact that we've got mostly positive results in some way or another, be it through extra money for Anthony woohoo I got the three three points Tom yeah three Three points points. points and 30 something points for me everything that Martinez contributed basically this weekend (laughs) yeah I mean mean, maybe the reality is that I shouldn't zombify my team but Anthony you should I mean maybe that maybe that's the truth of it (laughs) but I I think with with this week it's really important to just be able to laugh and be able to just kind of think you know what yeah this this stuff does happen I mean don't do the gambler's fallacy thing and go it'll all even out in the end because that's ridiculous and but 
I think it will actually yeah. even out yeah. in some way in the end time. I think I'm <laughs> doing exactly that. Just, no, just, totally say, just say reversion to the mean, which is good, good the, equiv- the equivalent of what you're saying. <laughs> Tossing the cliches and like London buses, two will arrive at oh. once, you know? Yeah. And good. So, should we zoom via teams, guys? What do you guys think? Well, I know, yeah, as you're saying, it's probably not best to zombify your team and just leave it and then see what happens come game week 38. That's certainly not advice that we'd be doling out. But there is a little bit of overmanagement, I think, sometimes comes into our heads. So, you know, when we take hits and things like that, I've always been relatively negative towards hits. And I think this season has kind of illustrated that they're not always needed. Certainly when I've taken hits this season, it's, it's not worked out. You see managers, for instance, selling Salah after blank. Just just don't bother. You know, this guy is one of those players that you probably want to keep for the entire season. And he showed unbelievable consistency over the course of the year. And I'd say the same for if Spurs players um, had blanks today, I wouldn't be like, right, get sell, 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 which many people probably would have been because, um, you know, they've got a couple of nice fixtures at least coming up. But, you know, there is, um, I think there is obviously that argument that we can leave our teams. But certainly if you, you like our, us with our sort of game week one teams, where we had these characters like a Bamiyang in there and he's obviously been completely out of form, then those sort of players do need to go and you do need to kind of try and, follow those trends of those players that are informed, the likes of Caden and Son. So obviously Anthony, Son, perhaps one for you to, to be looking at maybe, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. That's it's pretty much it. Like yeah, full blown zombie won't work. Like of course a zombie team right now will be far ahead. But the fact of the matter is that to have put that team together, you needed to really gamble on the sides that happened to do well and sides that were ha- fancied in pre-seasons, your Brightons, your Arsenals, they haven't come through. Spurs have come through. You, you would have had to, let's say, jump onto surprise packages like Bamford, like James Rodriguez, contrast that to, let's say, Mitrovic and Timo Werner, who haven't been as good. And you'd need to have nailed which of the top five sides did well, again, Spurs, and who didn't? Liverpool's defence, something that we were all talking about. Manchester City, KDB has been slow. He would have been in every zombie team if you were to try and build one. Bamiang is another good example of that. So zombifying your team, it probably won't work because what you think in what should be August, but what was September this year, is just never going to be right come the end of that season. Yeah, we've got a question on that in the pod as well. Uh, so definitely come back to that. Right, well, after that section, let's uh, take a well-deserved break, open a beer, and move on to the correspondence slash Q&A. Speak in just a moment. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's time to catch up with the Who Got the Assist Media League. And if you want to join the league, the code is CPSULF. And I'm just going to do a, a quick update, uh, top six perhaps, Um we have a quick shout out for Saad Mahir, who got 76 points this game week, uh, rose 62 places in the league. That's that's a really good score for what was a pretty dross week. And, and that was thanks to mostly um, Patrick Bamford and uh, Captain Manny and also uh, Kasper Schmeichel in, in goal got him 10 points. So a bit of a random pick there, but he did really well. Um, and going up to the top five, we've got Isma de Espin. He got 62 points with IDSFT. Ashkara Biral got 56 points. He's in fourth. Uh, Zaki Shane dropped one place uh, to third with the Zakaria team with only 38 points this game week. Uh, second was Mohamed Mosen with Hunter, 45 points. And now we've got a new number one in the league, and it's Borisov Joksimovic. Uh, he got 67 points this game week. Uh, so pretty decent score there, uh, thanks to a Captain Son and also uh, Zaha and Bamford. So... Well done, mate. Um, and yeah, 
Uh, that's the mini league. Yeah, very well. I'm on 67. That's really nice, actually. I think I saw Adam Hockcroft uh, somehow managed to squeeze a 71 out somehow. But yeah, 67 is pretty damn decent. All right, let's move on to the correspondence. Um, I believe I've got a role to play this week. But first, we've got a meaty question, haven't we, Anthony? Yeah, yeah. From the pit of despair that was uh, section one of the pod to a chance to dip our snouts in the trough of happiness that is the correspondence section. <laughs> it's, of course, the section which is your chance to send in your thoughts, addendums to previous pods, just all questions to who got the assist at gmail.com for me to read them with a happy voice on, <laughs> in contrast to most of the pod. Yeah, so this week anyway, Brett Taylor, aka Fantasy Hal, has emailed us in with his email. Hi guys, long-time listener, first-time corresponder. After six game weeks, we see data creeping into FPL punditry, including this pod. But other than warnings not to draw large conclusions from small samples, we don't see much contextualizing of this early season data. 99% of mentions of fixture difficulty are forward-looking. But should we be better at weighting data by the quality of opponents played in producing that data that's at our disposal? Furthermore, incidents like early red cards massively skew the data within a match. And having had four first-half red cards this season, that means that eight teams have had their data skewed in such a fashion. Similarly, but slightly more subjectively, one-off games where a specific tactical pattern or individual mismatch produces outlying data should be moderated a bit compared to teams or players who consistently produce. It's not about ignoring certain events completely, because yes, Everton battered a 10-man West Brom, and yes, Son did a madness against Southampton. Those things did happen. But how can we push the envelope of analysis and discourse to better weight the numbers until they start to shake themselves out over a 15 to 20 game week period? Cheers, Brett Taylor at Fantasy Hall on Twitter in Melbourne, Australia, where I presume it's sunnier than Ireland. Well, actually, Melbourne weather is uh, famously interchangeable. So sometimes it is incredibly sunny, sometimes it's incredibly rainy on the same day. Right. Well, to get into the nuts and bolts of this question, I guess we've kind of mentioned this before, haven't we? Um, in terms of things like the 7-2 for Villa and last year the 9-0 for uh, Leicester versus Southampton, the year before that, Man City, Watford. So it really is a time-honoured sort of discussion. Um, I mean, even the Liverpool-Watford game, that blank game week a few years ago when Salah went mental, which thoroughly skewed his data as well. Now, I've said on previous pods, uh, Brett, that I think there's still a case of comparing apples with apples to some extent with these games because each game is fundamentally played in the same conditions from the outset. There's nothing unusual about the games, perhaps, except the outcome. So, you know, there's no torrential rainstorm. But equally, I, I think you're probably right. Like with these things, it is a case of being mindful and using the data on a case by case basis. So, for example, I removed Realish versus Liverpool from his data when I was sizing up whether he was worth buying or not. So, it's perhaps what I call a qualified yes. And I spoke to somebody else about this, our friend uh, Desperate Seek and Do's and Alan. And he said that, you know, over the course of the entire season, there's a really good point that one result out of 38 is is a small part of the sample. But at the time that we were looking at Villa versus uh, Liverpool as part of our sort of analysis of what's going on. Only five games have been played. You had things like Watkins suddenly appearing on all sorts of radars, including ours. Uh, but he scored a hat-trick in one game and obviously things were really, really different. Uh, so to tack on to this, um, I'm a professional qualified researcher in real life. I do have a real job, folks. Um, so from a professional perspective, if I was looking at this data set within a quantitative survey, I definitely want some weighting, uh, which uh, Brett did mention, attached to some aspects of it, just to give us a more realistic representation of what's happened so uh, things in the sample universe like goals contributed beyond say the fourth goal 
uh, could be something that I'd look at perhaps applying a down weight to just to catch what happens when demoralization sets in and reflect that in a player's data. I know some people won't like that, but say, for example, in the 8-0 City versus Watford, City scored five goals in the opening half. So the game was effectively over by half time. Should the three in the second half really count for as much as the first? Of course they should, yes, a goal is a goal. I haven't really got an answer here. But equally, it might be interesting to see, all right, the opening goal, does that, should that probably count for more than the eighth goal that's scored? Because their impact on the match is different. Think about opening goals or decisive goals in the game. So an opening goal tends to be something which is important. A decisive goal, a game-winning goal, is something which is anecdotally counted as more valuable um, than adding a fifth in a drubbing uh, to stats puff your scores. Uh, there's definitely something in that. But FPL is my job, unfortunately. So um, I'm not going to be doing it. Um, feel free to run with it if you can. It, but I think it's definitely a matter of time before something like that does happen. It'd be really interesting to have some sort of index on it. It's just a case of where does it go and how far does it go. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting question. Something that I'd be um, interested in spending time looking at if I was employed in FPL in a data capacity somehow. Yeah, I, I do recall a discussion on second captains at some point in another podcast. And I mean, years ago. So I, I, could, I can't, I've been Googling trying to find this particular uh, report and I just can't find it but there was a bunch of boffins as some people would call them did some analytics and they summed up that you'd need something like 10,000 years or something to have the perfect Premier League season that removed all variants that it would just be you know almost impossible to kind of really truly weight things to figure out who is the best team let's say and you could almost say that that sort of thing kind of feeds into this discussion about weighting performances and trying to uh, allocate values based on conditions and occurrences and how things go as well so it, it is yeah. very difficult to compare like even for us it's, it's difficult to us, for us to compare how players are doing mm. in the first few games of this season to last season and then you can break last season in two because you've project restart <laughs> yeah. and you've before project restart you know so it's full, funny, stadium's it? yeah. not full and it's like there are just so many different kind of things that lead into it that you just got to do your best with what you've got and have a bit of cop on to be like, okay, Villa probably won't play as well as they did against Liverpool the other day um, or a few weeks ago. Likewise, Spurs probably will not get the sort of easy perform, easy chances against a team like Manchester United again, like they did a few weeks ago. And it's, just, it's, it's trying to find that middle ground and just kind of have your head screwed on as you look at the numbers for players. Like I try to look at how a player has performed in terms of their form and their record against sides that are really good, that are mid-tier, that are relegation battle. And that was why it was something I focused on last week when we were talking about explosivity and predictability in captain halls. And I, I try to bring that through with, let's say, picking my elite players, but there's only so much you can do. Yeah, exactly. I think there's always a little bit of context to the, the stats that we look at. Obviously, with red cards, it can really skew the data. And I think it's also worth highlighting that injuries um, can factor in as well and skew the data. For instance, we know from last season when Spurs had um, injuries to Kane or Son, uh, Kane and Son even, they were undoubtedly a, a weaker attacking opponent, as we saw in that period pre-lockdown where they were getting hammered. And um, I think you could talk about Chelsea as well, um, now that they've uh, got a decent 
decent goalkeeper with Mendy in goal, you can feel a lot more confident that they're going to keep a clean sheet. Without Mendy, you perhaps want to fill your boots with um, attackers or opponents that are playing Chelsea. So I don't have time, obviously, as Tom said, I've got a full-time job as well to design like my own algorithm, that sort of thing. I'd love to have that sort of time, because I'm a bit of a data nerd, to build that sort of thing out and play around. But I think with some of the fixtures algorithms you've got like around, I think certainly they can be enhanced compared to what we've got currently. For instance, you might see some of them classifying Sheffield United as a tough fixture, but this is going to be weighted towards um, Sheffield United from last season where they had Dean Henderson in goal. And they also had a, a Fitz Jack O'Connell, who was actually one of their best players last season. I think they're really missing him. And it also, one other thing with Sheffield United needs to be factored in the defence or the attack when you talk about these fixtures. So when you see your opponent playing Sheffield United, you're going to be like, well, it's, it's good value for a clean sheet for my defenders playing them, but I'm not too confident about my attackers. I don't think it's going to be a four or a five nil against Sheffield United, is it? So I wouldn't necessarily fancy my chances. And that kind of links in, I guess, with, with Chelsea right now, because their next three fixtures are Burnley, Sheffield United and Newcastle, which is apparently really green fixtures. So you think, oh yeah, fill your boots. But Fill your boots with the defenders, not the attackers, because Burnley will sit back and defend. Sheffield United will sit back and defend. Newcastle will sit back and defend. So it's going to be tough times, perhaps, for Werner and Havertz. But if you're on the likes of Chilwell or um, Zoom or James, then by all means, play them. So that's something certainly that needs to be factored in, I think, to people's approaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I hope anyway that that has answered your questions, Brett. Thanks very much for emailing us in. You'll find Brett at Fantasy Hall on Twitter. And Brett emailed who got the assist at gmail.com, as did friend of the pod James Harding who has really understood the essence of the correspondence section it's a versatile section it's when we escape the (laughs) constraints of data which usually hold who got the assist down and get us all sorts of reports on uh, Apple podcasts for being too rigid you know stuck to their numbers boffins whatever this is a it's also a chance to deliver some culture to you And, and James has really done that hasn't he Tom yeah, he's uh, adapted uh, W.H. Davies' leisure. What is his life full of care? We have no time to stand and stare. And he's adapted it for FPL to basically, uh, I guess, sum up how the season's gone. Um, and, uh, well, this is what he writes. What is FPL if full of care? We have no time to sit and stare. No time to watch our favourite team and shout profanities at the screen. No time to see KDB's exquisite pass as it glides over the short, soft grass. No time to marvel at mid-match fights with red cards giving managers frights. No time to sigh at an easy mischance or laugh at a goal celebration dance. No time to smile when your team wins or cry when they lose in the last few mins. A poor FPL game full of care. We have no time to sit and stare. That was beautiful, James. Very, very nice. Uh, James Harding can be found at FPL underscore JMO on FPL Twitter. A very, very nice lad as well. We've met him. I think we've met him a couple times, haven't we? He came to a couple yeah, of a the meetups. Yeah, really socials. nice guy. Yeah, yeah, um, very nice guy. Yeah, thanks for that, Nick. Well thanks for that, James. That's very, very nice. Um, used to be poetry corner, that. <laughs> for our old listeners. <laughs> I think your dad wrote one, didn't he, at one point, Nick? He has written one, yeah, for the pod. Oh, no, but wait, he was, that was yeah. under a pseudonym, wasn't it? Oops. <laughs> uh, <laughs> revealed. Yeah. That dad watch had a terrible week, by the way. He he uh, he, he uh, benched Bamford and also a couple of clean sheets. Oh. Twenty five points on the bench this week, so bad times for him. Oh, poor Ian. Right, let's move on to the Q and A. Without further ado. And we start off, as it was trailed earlier on, with the idea of a Liverpool defence fire sale. So obviously we've seen that Virgil van Dijk is on the sales out column, uh, featuring very highly on that 
But Jeremy Lewis asks, is it now finally the time to sell off Liverpool defenders due to a toxic combination of price, lack of cleanies and no Van Dijk as mentioned? Uh, what do you guys reckon? I got rid of all my Liverpool defenders mm-hmm. on my wild card. Didn't want them anymore. Oh, gone. Yeah. So like, it is kind of ridiculous though. Five Liverpool defenders in the game have played so far and they've got 67 points between them. Roman Sice and Kurt Zuma, 70 points. So just kind of tells you how much Liverpool's defenders have underperformed. And, you know, we're, we're so accustomed to seeing Robbo and TAA especially really get a, make a clear gap between themselves and the rest of the pack when it comes to attacking underlying stats especially. And whilst they are doing well in terms of attempts, TAA is top with 10, Robbo has five, but Dallas... Stevens, uh, Maguire, all of six. So, you know, they're not that different to those guys. In terms of chances created, Chilwell, Cresswell and Dina are quite close to TA and Robbo as well. So they're not creating the value for money that we're used to. And then there is the elephant in the room, the clean sheets. Liverpool are third for big chances conceded with 14. Four of those were against Aston Villa. So in in those other five games, they averaged two big chances conceded per game. And if you were to you know, telegraph that two big chances per game out, you'd have 12. That still makes them the fifth worst in terms of big chances conceded. Like it, it's terrible stuff. They have been punished as well for every single error that they've made defensively in terms of Optus stats and it's come to a goal. That's only three of their goals. Like they've conceded a rake at times, 14, I think. So just tells you really that they're not doing as well as you'd expect them to. And with an inform West Ham next, followed by Man City and then Leicester where Vardy will inevitably score against them. You're kind of like... What's the point? So I'm not going to be as negative as, as you are about Liverpool. I have um, highlighted some positives that can be gleaned. So I think the fullbacks still have lots of attacking potential there. Robertson's top for penalty box touches of all the defenders with 25. Trent's top for goal attempts with 10. And both Trent and Robertson are in the top four for chances created so far this season. So plenty of attacking returns still. They are, but are they 0.5 or 1 million or 1.5 million? worth it more worth it that's the question really with them isn't it obviously that Aston Villa match was a bit of a, a strange match but I don't think they're necessarily going to without Virgil van Dijk turn into calamities overnight and this is going to be a continued theme I, I'm, as we talked earlier there's probably going to be a little bit of reversion to the mean back with Liverpool considering how consistent they were last season I think also the fact that Allison's back is going to be very important for Liverpool he wasn't around for that game He's got excellent distribution and I think he adds a lot of calm to the proceedings compared to Adrian, who the defenders always look nervous playing in front of and they never keep a clean sheet when he's in the team. So I think having Alisson back is an important factor for them. I also say their their fixtures aren't too bad in in the short term. So I think Robertson, he's doing all right so far. He's, as you said, they're not performing brilliantly, but he's seventh for... um, defenders in terms of points so I'm, I'm not going to be selling him anytime soon I think if you've got Robertson I think by all means keep him if you've got Trent and as you saw from Market Force there's lots of people moving him on you could potentially find three million just downgrading him to a Dallas type character and uh, investing that in your midfield and attack and if you did I, I wouldn't blame you but I still think there's plenty of potential for Liverpool defenders um, at the end of the season to be right up there in terms of top scoring defenders. Oh, absolutely. By the end of the season, I'd agree with that. Like, I'm kind of, I'm negative in the super short term, but in the longer term, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've still got Trent and I haven't wildcarded, so that's the reason I've still got Trent. If I didn't have Trent, I'd be with you, Anthony. I wouldn't own a Liverpool defender at the moment. Um, and I think, I, I think that what was really instructive was the absence of Liverpool defenders from the Zombino team that, that I mentioned earlier on. Um, and I think that that 
certainly weren't against our perceptions. We'll talk about this in a minute. We've got a question on this um, of how the early season would pan out. Um, and there was a point, I think, three three game weeks ago, when we were like, "Oh, you know, Trent and Robbo is a really viable way forward," and certainly seems to have been exploded now. One thing I would point out is that in the restart, um, they were actually sit for big chances conceded. Um, to, to your point, Anthony, about their big chance concession, that's actually one less than Norwich, and they considered more big chances in the restart when they had all of the ensemble with Brighton, Bournemouth, Newcastle. Yes, of course, they obviously um, had won the title by that point, so maybe arguably the motivation wasn't there. But it does seem like they've kind of just for whatever reason, just been afflicted by the lack of stability around there. Um, and the good thing about Liverpool assets and the, the fullbacks is that they're actually not that liquid in terms of their prices. I mean, I know TAA has dropped by 0.1, Robo's risen by 0.1, but you're not going to see like a big rush like you would see um, in a mid you know, the Hammer situation where he's risen by 0.5 million. You probably aren't going to see that with Robertson and TAA because they're so difficult to get to. And because most non-engaged managers look at them and go, well, I'm not paying 7 million for a defender. What are you talking about? Um, so... I would be looking to get rid. And to be honest, I'm going to give TAA West Ham. I may well even give TAA uh, Man City. And then I might get rid of him after the international break when I've got two free transfers. So you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great piggy bank to have. Um, and if he does well over the next two games, then I'll keep him. If he doesn't, well, I'll get rid of him and use the money elsewhere. So yeah, that Leicester home game. Do you remember what happened last time? I was just saying. I know, it's happening well. in game week 20, nine, 20, isn't 20, it? 24 pointer imminent. Uh, but, 26th of December, 2019, lads. Never forget. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was quite <laughs> a day. I didn't, I didn't own him at that point, so I'm fine. I, I had sold him just ahead <laughs> of that game week, so I will never forget it. I sat there half drunk and went, oh my God, in a bar. <laughs> just thought never uh, ever again I, I am I know. selling TA but here we have sold them this is the thing though isn't it it's like you're expecting a lot of these big teams like Liverpool's defenders like KDB or whatever you're just waiting for them to explode and it just hasn't happened yet and for us to have got this far into the season and for it not to have happened is almost odd yeah, it's my suspicion isn't it I, as I said earlier on I'm sure that there's somebody uh, loads of FPL managers out there less engaged managers that is who are just like well, why would you ever spend that money? I'm having a, I'm having a fantastic season. I've just had that Castagna fellow. He looked all right. I've had Mings. I've had a size guy at Wolves. He was five million, so I thought I'd throw him in. And I've Patrick had a great Bamford season. was really what, good last season. Yeah, what are you talking, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> there you go. Um, at the moment, I, to answer Jeremy's question, I'd probably say that it's time to sell in the super short term. Um, and you're always going to have this fear of being bitten in the bum uh, by a TAA sale, especially ahead of game week nine against Leicester. But sometimes it is good to cut the cord. And this leads us very nice on to the next question, which is how long is too long? So FF Ninja underscore Ryan asks if we're being stubborn holding on to the likes of TAA and Liverpool defenders. Uh, also cites the likes of Werner and KDB. When do we give up on them? He says uh, the first sub FPL podcast also asks about Trent. You know what we're doing. They point out that he's the second highest XA for defenders, unlucky to concede, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you no, know, with these sort of guys, with this sort of example, when do we cut the cord? Because I remember last year, for example, Vardy. He was on that in, that fantastic goal scoring run. His wife had the baby, and we we're all anticipating the you know the Beto celebration. It never happened. He kind of went on a complete dry spell. And there were so many people who held him for so long because their value tied up. You know, they had a high ownership. And um, what do we look for? How do we kind of jump off a player? Well, I think the Vernon and KDB is probably two weeks ago, unfortunately, to to get on the Spurs guys, but. 
I think ultimately with, with Trent, as I kind of answered in, in the last question, the wild card is always a good opportunity to perhaps spread your value elsewhere. But, you know, I think go without Liverpool defence, as we said and highlighted from some previous results, it carries its own risks as well. It's always very hard to, to call these things, but certainly, as we kind of discussed, you, you can overmanage your team, but I think you've got to jump on those trends and not completely ignore them. And then, yeah, if you've got a player that drops out of form, give if it's like I normally give them a couple of weeks or or wait for us or one of the tougher fixtures to emerge. And that's always a great opportunity when they're playing like a team like um, Man City or something or Liverpool up next. And, and that's always a good um, pace to sell. Yeah, unfortunately, when it's a player with a high ceiling and especially when it's a player that is popularly owned, it's usually just when the crushing weight of disappointment and anxiety kind of gets to the point that you've had them in your team for so long and you've missed out on so many points that that's when you start to sell them. But of course, that's that's far too late. <laughs> it's like at that point, you should have sold them far earlier. But like the thing with, let's say, the city assets, you talked about KDB, you could almost toss all the city assets into this bracket. Like we're so used to their attacking stats being streets ahead of everyone else. Even when Liverpool won the league, City's underlying attacking stats, XG, shots in the box, you name it, were so much better. Not this season at all. And I know they've played a game less than most teams, but still, the fact of the matter is they're 10th for XG from open play. They're 10th for shots in the box. 44, the same as Fulham. Like, it's, it's very odd what's going on with City. With Werner then, it, it's, he is a player, and we've seen this even in the league, he is a player who can create chances for himself with a, a, bit, of spe- a bit of speed and a bit of guile and good positioning. But at the end of the day, in that Lampard's Chelsea team, it's very odd. There doesn't seem to be a kind of a cohesive attacking system there. And let's say in the United game, what you saw was an extreme focus on the defence because clearly he's, Lampard is starting to get concerned that he's known as a manager who can't manage defences. So he, like, he had three attackers on the pitch at times. Um, so Werner ended up just ends up not having the service that he requires. 1.77 XG from open play. That's 16th in the league. You'd expect an awful lot more from a marquee signing striker who was one of the best in Europe last year. But are the pieces there for him? Yeah. And the thing is that his explosion is going to come. You could say he's already had it, but I think he's going to hit a, you know, a, a set of forms sooner rather than later. And people are going to be trying to find a way to get him into their sides. With Werner, I I mentioned this on uh, with regards to him at the start of the season from playing FBL for a little bit, that he can be incredibly frustrating and incredibly inconsistent in front of goal. Like he, uh, Red Bull Leipzig, obviously scored a lot of goals, but he had to... A, a lot more that he missed and there was a huge sort of volume of chances that were coming his way, uh, principally supplied by Nkunku, by the way. Um, and at, at the moment at Chelsea, it seems like he's uh, kind of lacking that, uh, lacking that creativity, the supply line coming to him. I think Ziyech is going to be perhaps where that sort of works out and it'd be great to see if that actually does happen. We're in the formative stages of the season, of course. Um, but um, in terms of Ryan's question, um, yeah, you should have gotten rid of Werner a while ago. KDB has just got injured, got rid of him. Sometimes there is a case of, you know, enforced transfers are the best because if a player is injured, then you can remove them without any fear, any worry, and it's all okay. Um, it's always a bit riskier if you're removing them because you think that they're kind of uh, not 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 doing very well, but they they still could do something. You know, like selling Kai Havertz, for example. And you remember all the stories about selling somebody before they've hit a hat trick or something like that, and that can often be why people err on the side of caution. Um, with this, I think it's all about the decision-making process. And we speak about this a lot in terms of the outcome bias and, and not kind of falling prey to thinking, oh, the outcome wasn't great. So I've clearly made a mistake here. And often if you come to the conviction that a player isn't worth holding on to, like Anthony has with Liverpool defenders, for example, it's worth following that through, I think. Just because at the end of the day, like it's it's 
your conviction is what you've seen is what you've hopefully researched or at least heard and looked into and i think that's how a lot of the best managers seem to do things like independently of what the popular sentiment is uh trustworthy teams then uh adam pritchard at free five who asks who do we trust all the big teams are erratic Everton and Villa are knocked off their perch a bit this weekend. With only West Ham of all people looking vaguely decent. Derry Cracker also mentioned the Palace defence uh, look all right. Um, so are there any kind of trustworthy teams out there? Um, you know, Jimenez is doing all right, isn't he? Uh, but Wolves look terrible, for example. Southampton, three out of six clean sheets. Are there any teams that we kind of point out other than West Ham and think, yeah, these, these are teams worth better? Or does it link into our aversion to the mean sort of uh, thing that we touched on earlier on? Yeah, I think Wolves look quite solid defensively. If you ignore that 4-0 loss against West Ham, they've also got three clean sheets, um, albeit against sides like Sheffield United and Newcastle. So I don't know if it's saying too much there. It has been a very, very weird... Wolves did not keep a clean sheet against Newcastle. Oh, sorry. You're looking at Roman size. Yeah, I'm looking at Roman. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, they got um, they got ones against Fulham and Sheffield United and... Lead so yeah, getting clean sheets against the likes of Fulham and Sheffield United. I don't think that's necessary too much to be shouting home about, but certainly they've looked pretty good defensively in in most of their games. We've seen that Everton have had a really good start, but then they were crap this week against Southampton. Um, same with Villa, excellent start, crap this week. So I don't know if there are too many trustworthy teams, to be brutally honest. City's been erratic in their form. Liverpool don't look the same. Spurs, I think Spurs, you can trust their attackers so far, but I'm sure they'll drop off at some point during the, you know, during the season. West Ham also had a good start, but um, historically... Their form hasn't been brilliant over the past five seasons. They tend to be the whipping boys. It seems a bit odd that they're doing so well. It's unusual, certainly. I think um, I think teams like Chelsea will, will come good eventually as well with all the attacking talent. I'd also perhaps say that, you know, keep an eye on Manchester United and some of their attackers. But um, I'm afraid I don't really have a solid answer here for, for, those, for a guaranteed team that I would say you can trust, trust, trust. They're all a bit shaky in their form so they've all um, been knocked off their perch a little bit haven't they yeah what is it um stalin said i, I trust no one not even myself uh, and to be honest i think most premier league footballers could say that right now or certainly the managers could about their teams like it's it's so erratic as adam said in the question like man like l- look at the underlying data that like salah and Mane still look like they're well set up the villa defense sure it, it imploded at the weekend but I'd be okay with them going forward. Like they've they've shown signs of actually being organised. Like Nick, I think I trust the talent at Chelsea to come through eventually. Uh, Derry Cracker was talking about Crystal Palace. Yes, their defence looked good at the weekend, but it's still conceded. And the fact of the matter is, is that so often Crystal Palace don't attack that when your defence is doing all the work, something's going to go wrong eventually. So like, what's the point? Um, so like all in all, I think it is really just keep watching the underlying data, Adam. Uh, probably don't bring in too many Arsenal players and just hope for the best. Oh, bringing Arsenal defenders though. I mean, if there's a, there's a good article written by uh, by Adam Pritchard, I think his name was uh, on Planet FPL. And he oh said yeah, of course, Arsenal yeah, sorry, yes, so, right, um, yeah, yeah. so maybe that is one more. Gabriel, higher XG than yeah. Aubameyang. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but yeah, I know what you mean. I, I think that what's interesting is is the the inverse almost that um, a lot of the time the supporting cast members that we've chosen haven't quite gotten the kind of. I mean, we're picking on clean sheets here, uh, but haven't got the clean sheets that we've been looking for. Um, and you know, you've had Villa doing all right. You've had Southampton, as I mentioned, right at the start, three out of six clean sheets. But who apart from and McCarthy was sold by a lot of people, so people that's kind of gone under the radar a little bit. Uh, Wolves, you mentioned, done all right. Uh, but that's Liverpool and Man City, who we often have defensive cover from, haven't done that job. So we're kind of looking at it going, oh, okay, well, all right, I'm going to take all the money in our defence and put it forward. Um, going forward, you've had the teams like Everton doing the business, uh, Villa uh, inside and outside Liverpool game doing the business, um, and you know, West Ham this week, for example. And I think what's really interesting, I, mean, I, I didn't want to go into it too much detail on Twitter about because I didn't want to look like an idiot. But I mean, with, with Antonio, for example, like, looking at underlying data and thinking, okay, this guy's looking all right. His MPSG is third. All right, I'm going to buy this guy in and, and give it a go, depending, regardless of the fixture almost. Um, doing little things like that and going with the data and kind of seeing, I guess, with kind of hearts back to what Elf was saying a little while ago. Um, but looking at that and kind of thinking, okay, what what could happen? Who hasn't quite kind of, hit the heights yet but who could in the future is quite useful and it's almost like you were saying Anthony just keeping on the underlying XG is very useful because we are hoping as you said in the first section that there's going to be reversions of the mean so we are hoping that these players eventually are going to end up returning for you despite not having returned yet and there's some sort of semblance of predictability is going to include going to happen from the data that we're seeing um yeah I, I think at, at the moment it's, it's at the start of the season it's, it's always quite difficult and don't think this is off any of our first rodeos and we know that it often can be like this um but by kind of game week 12 game week 13 we'd have forgotten all about this oh who can we trust um and it'll be more a case of which premium should i go for to captain this week the, the conversation definitely does shift and it's this such is unique familiar. questions as kdb or salah <laughs> yeah oh, it would probably be salah or kane this year to be fair but even that could change i mean it's, it's just a it's just a snapshot in time isn't it when we're recording this pod and it's just a snapshot in time of the you're, uncertainty you're just a snapshot leaving to a leading to a calf strain away from everything changing this is the thing really. oh exactly we've got kane's yearly injury to come <laughs> Right. Okay. Uh, I'm. Uh, I think uh, that probably does a link into Karen Chenoy's question about selling Everton players as well. Um. So we'll probably go into. We, we, I guess we'd all. James Rodriguez to... is a very good player. Yeah. DCL has been doing well so far. I've called him the new postman, and I think he will continue to deliver. And not even the DCL mail comes every single day. Yeah. Exactly. It was similar. To, similar to him and us. Like the postman delivers in increasingly ridiculous circumstances. Um. <laughs> As I said earlier on, deflected shot out of nowhere. This week, going to the edge of a D on a corner for his own team. Like you'd be expecting him to be attacking penalty spot. No, he pulled out to the edge of a D and unleashed a pile driver out of nowhere. Um, I don't know how long it's going to keep going for, but I'm very happy to continue entertaining the fact that that's going on. All right. And then the final question this week is pre-season post-mortem. Uh, we spoke about this a few times in the pod, uh, but Nick Wright asks, of everything we thought we knew pre-season, what are you now least or most sure of? Um, I don't think we're sure of anything, <laughs> uh, but I'm now least sure of a few things. Uh, looking, back at my, looking back at my Game 1 squad, I'm least sure about the fact I should have had a Man United player on my bench in terms of Martial. I'm least sure that City will be back because obviously I had two Kevin de Blanks and then end up selling him. And I'm least sure that Liverpool defence will be essential earlier on. 
and I think next year, and I say this every year, um, but I think next year I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna just go a bit off the wall earlier on. I think I was speaking to a friend of the pod, James Carroll, earlier on, um, and he was saying, you know, I'm, next year I'm gonna go rogue at the start of the year. And I think it's definitely true. Like we, we always kind of been kind of moved into the sort of template earlier on in the season, especially pre-game week one, with all these players, everybody seems to own, and obviously we we kind of contribute to that because we're gonna highlight players who look pretty decent. As over the course of this pod, though, like often it's about just sticking to your own uh, your own perceptions at the start. Because we, again, this year, I think we've had we said this in years past. And Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we said this in years past that oh, we're so bunched up when it comes to game week five and six. You know, we're, we're so everyone's so close together. That's because we all end up with a very very similar homogenous sort of team. So backing your own perceptions, backing your own ideas is again something I'm going to be trying to do more this year and maybe that could be linked to you know, the, the impact of FPL group, community group thing but like maybe it is the case of just kind of saying well what do I think and what am I most sure of versus what are people telling me they're most sure of and how important is that to integrate that thinking into my own uh, Nick that's about right isn't it like every year we do kind of observe the sort of trend that people do get all bunched up and then we end up kind of relying on one good week to send us away yeah, certainly. There's uh, certainly been cases over the past few seasons where we've looked at each other's teams. We've like, hold on, we've basically got nine or ten men who are the same, and it might be just one or two differentials that, that make the difference week in, week out. And invariably, we, you can never really get ahead of the curve when you're so kind of templated up compared to, to everyone else. But I think in, in answer to, to Nick's questions, I think, like yourself, Tom, sadly, I'm probably less sure of things right now than I was in the pre-season. And I think certainly the form of certain teams has caught me off my guard. Uh, the likes of West Ham and Aston Villa, who I was kind of half writing off at the beginning of the season, have done excellently. The fabled top six have performed pretty poorly, um, all things considered. I think um, it, it just kind of shows really in terms of my season this um, so far. So I've had three really good game weeks and and three really really bad game weeks and and ironically the three um, two of the three game weeks that have gone well were the ones where I was looking at my team and actually thinking oh, these, these fixtures are pretty crap for my players you know I've got um tough fixtures for everyone but it was just weird things that happened like a, a Vardy hat-trick against Manchester City that the, the business or the Everton guys doing well against Liverpool and an Aston Villa clean sheet against Leicester that kind of worked out as those differentials for me or you know those those differential picks and I think certainly going for like a player slightly off the grain slightly off the template like Vardy early on in the season did really well for me in, in a couple of the game weeks that went well but then like the weeks that have gone badly they've kind of gone badly for everyone so it hasn't mattered too much so I certainly think in that respect um, we're all in a little bit in the dark in terms of what happens next and we're not really sure about much at the moment I think certainly in that respect I think going off the grain as to answer your question Tom um, can be very effective as well yeah, the the idea of going off the grain is is very attractive. I think, especially as FPL content producers, it's very difficult to escape that group think. Like, it would be lovely if you could do some sort of thing with your brain where you could partition a bit of it so that it never interacted with like the world outside. You know, it's like somehow remove to try and do that. I I would be interested to see what sort of team I would put together if I just had me watching football but none of the noise that comes with it. In terms of things that I'm least sure of, it's very defensive. I think. Um, 
Liverpool's defence, not sure that that's as good as we thought it was, especially in the context of the Van Dijk injury. Sheffield United's defence, uh, similarly, would have been something I was quite bullish about in pre-season. But Aaron Ramsdale, he's definitely not as good as Henderson. But just in general, are they just struggling that bit more? Yeah, they are for sure so far. Uh, in terms of things I'm sure of, West Brom and Fulham, uh, they're really, really going to struggle in this Premier League this year. And... Um, Mark Rodick or not, Fulham definitely aren't um, going to stay up. And so that, that's definitely what I am sure of. And even though, even knowing that though, targeting them hasn't necessarily been the most fruitful method of selecting captains so far, which I think kind of captures the essence of the madness of this early season. And I think that, in I guess, feeds into what I'm also sure of, which is that it's going to get a tad easier to predict this as time goes on. <laughs> Well, we said that we've uh, firmly crossed appendages all throughout our bodies. And moving on to captains and transfers, let's move on to the end of the pod. What the bloody hell are we doing next week? Are we mimicking the market and maybe not doing very much? Or uh, do we have uh, big things lined up? I mean, Anthony, last week you were saying you couldn't be happy with your team. Ecstatic. You know, you're rolling your transfer, but now you've got two free transfers. Are you going to be ringing the changes? I wouldn't ring the changes um i think i will do something so i'll be texting the changes whatsapping changes (laughs) i'll I'll be selecting transfers on the fpl site the changes yeah no i think i will make one change i don't think i'm going to be doing anything too radical like as i said it's you know some sort of alan turing stephen hawking type decision that had me decide to not put son into my side and coming up against brighton next to have most flatter to deceive xg defensive numbers in the world that you know you think that they're an impregnable defense yet they always find a way to never get a clean sheet but i i i actually don't know what i want to do like the first matter is i have salah and man and i'm quite content to have both of them would i captain one of them against this inform west ham team do you know what i might i have kane there as well he's going to definitely be the most popular captain this week and I, i'm tempted not to go with it and that i think Spurs are really, really struggling against, you know, two banks of five defences. And Brighton won't be afraid to do that against Spurs because it's clearly the way to get at them. And with that in mind, I might break from the herd this time and go with either Salamane or Sterling away to Sheffield United. Just City have to explode eventually. And I kind of <laughs> will stick with that. So it'll be, a very, it'll be a very boring transfer anyway, whatever that transfer is. Right, fair enough. Um, I, I'm not sure yet. I've got... Um... Reese James and my team still stinking up. I mean, I don't know whether that five at the back that Chelsea did wheel out against Man United is going to just be exclusively against United. Uh, but I'm going to have a Champions League game midweek, uh, which will hopefully give me a heads up as to whether Reese James is going to play or not. I'm hoping that if he's benched, that means he plays against Burnley and vice versa. And that might mean the sell there. Um, as I mentioned at the start of the pod, uh, Mihail Antonio um, is apparently getting a scan on a, that a persistent hamstring issue. He's basically following the footsteps of, of Arnautovic at West Ham being an injured talisman. That's probably not a good thing to have in your team. So it may be that eight points is just a cameo. It's a shame because they've got a really decent run coming up, as we've mentioned a few times on the pod. Like He's got a Fulham, Sheffield United and Aston Villa from game week eight to ten. So, I mean... If he's out for one week, I may think about the hokey cokey. I don't know, um, but as as it is, I think that I I really like to do one move, maybe set set myself up for in. I'm looking forward to. I want to roll my transfer of international break, so that means that I want something this week. Maybe it'll be the likes of you know Reece James to Kilman to give me 0.9 million in the bank or something like that going forward. Um, this week for captaincy, I've actually 
considered it a little bit and I, I was considering actually going with Kane uh, sorry I was considering actually going with Son um, not because he scored tonight but because um, Brighton's defence in terms of the high line are very very similar to Southampton I was just wondering whether we might see a similar sort of Kane-Son link up there and um, we saw what happened with against Southampton and where Son basically benefits from getting in behind them I just wonder whether that might be the case with uh, Brighton too. Uh, Brighton aren't quite as Harry Carry as that Southampton team. Where no, they, no, no, United they are, but they are a perpetual case of all fart no poo, and they're also an, <laughs> an, an also a persistent case of a team which doesn't set up to nullify the opponents, but sets up to attack, or at least sets up in a way to win the game rather than in a Burnley way to nullify the game. That's true, right? So I think that hopefully there'll be a game there. I think everybody's going to captain within that game, and obviously I can see the positives in captaining Kane. He's actually got the lower. He's actually got lower ownership as it stands than Son. So maybe the, the bigger net advantage is captaining Kane and having the penalties, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But no, it feels like potentially one where, where Son could explode. So maybe I I will go with Sonny Boyd there. Um, yeah, not sure yet. I'm sure next Friday by Friday things may have completely changed. But yeah, that's what I'm thinking right now. Nick, what about you? So I do have two free transfers, um, as I kind of said at the beginning of the pod, even though my team did terribly, there's, there's not too many changes that I really want to make. I'm generally happy with most of the team. I think it would probably be Neil Mopay that would leave the team um, just uh, to get in another forward, though there's not really one that's kind of really luring me in or attracting me. I was um, considering perhaps uh, getting in Mikel Antonio, but of course, as Tom mentioned, he has a hamstring injury where he's slightly injured, so obviously I won't be getting him in if he's a doubt for the next game, but he's certainly one that I was planning on getting in for, for game week eight, so I can always perhaps get him in a week early, maybe. So um, if it's not Antonio, I thought maybe even Shea Adams might be someone who can be a, a stopgap for for one week yeah, maybe and then thinking about him and like then, um, for Antonio if he was yeah. in the, he's based back in uh, confidence isn't he so yeah so I thought maybe Shea Adams could come in for more pay and then I'll see I'll have two free transfers the next week and maybe Adams can then switch to Antonio for Fulham if, if he's fit for Fulham so by all means you could perhaps do a boomerang thing with Antonio as well maybe because I think that would be one move that I would be considering I think there's nothing else that I really want to make um, in terms of changes for my team I'm generally quite happy with it so that would be the one move I make unless um, James Rodriguez also another doubt maybe he's move out we'll have to see and wait for news in terms of captaincies it's gonna probably be most Salah again it was the first week I captained him actually this season and unfortunately he did blank but I think I'm perhaps gonna give him another chance there against West Ham at home so uh, hopefully that pays off um yeah, so thanks everyone for listening. We were Who Got the Assist. If you enjoyed the pod, make sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Yes, indeed. Thank you. And we'd really appreciate if you could leave us some ratings wherever you listen to this, particularly on iTunes. And uh, me, Lee Cole, if you wish to join the league, is CPSULF. You can send your correspondence to whogottheassist at gmail.com with your thoughts, addendums, or clarifications. Or if you want to pen a poem in response to James Harding this week, or if you want to bring a different verve to the emerging art form that is FPL poetry, we'd appreciate any of it. The guys will be back next week with Wes, uh, aka at FPL Heisenberg on Twitter. But I won't be here because I am in an interminable doom loop of exams this year.
Oh, well, a bit of a, a somber pod this week. Uh, do stick with us. I promise it won't always be like this, especially because Anthony's off the pod next week. <clears throat> <laughs> it's like, wow, yeah, it's like correspondence without my stewardship, uh, me not on the pod. It's going to be so happy. <laughs> mm, indeed. I'll do my best to be a, to squeal with joy in the way that you do. Uh, but in the meantime, we hope we assisted you by convincing you not to zombify your FPL team somehow and speak to you next week. Goodbye. Look. Here we go, Tim, but the son him in what he said. He said to Kane, did you get the assist? <laughs> <laughs> Ten years ago, no one talked about assists, but thanks to fantasy football, it's such a huge thing. And now. here we are, the vanguard of it. Okay, I'm going to edit. Just raise it. Bye. Bye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.